The title of, of course, this series is The Gospel, The Whole Gospel, and Nothing But the Gospel, So Help Us God. You know, it's been a blessing. I've heard from many that this study is bringing a lot of freedom. It's building up faith. And that's what, that's what happens when we're in God's Word. When we're in the Word of God, it's going to bring freedom. It's going to build us up in our inner man. It's going to build up our faith. It's going to build up hope. It's going to bring peace. So I want to encourage you, make sure you have a good, steady, daily diet of this, the Bible. You need it. I need it. We need it. And we've been given it. So don't take it for granted. We understand that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter of Galatians to Christians, not to the lost, But he's writing this to the church, to Christians who've actually fallen for a lie. They've bought into a bill of goods. They've been hoodwinked by some crafty religious people called Judaizers into believing that their salvation, that their relationship with God is only complete and only secure when it's offset with a healthy dose of the law. See, for the religious person, it's Jesus plus religion. It's Jesus plus circumcision, in this case, with the church in Galatia. It's Jesus plus works. It's Jesus plus what you're going to bring to the table to push it over the line. That's what it is for the religious people. And that's what was being sold to these believers in Galatia. And that bill of goods is still being sold to Christians today. It's still being offered up for us to take hold of. It's Jesus plus, boy, you better knuckle down and you better pull it across the finish line. Because unless you do your part, salvation isn't going to happen. It's subtle, but it's there. Paul won't let go of this. Have you noticed it's been like the same message over and over again for the last nine weeks, just pounding on this legalism. All the way through, we're in this fourth chapter. Of course, he didn't write it with chapters and verses and all that. This is just a letter. This is just, this is just uh, the man through, through the, the Holy Spirit just releasing this word to these believers. But he won't let this go. Why? Because he loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. He'll have none of this, of, of their faith, their freedom being hijacked by religion once again. Paul understands how dangerous this approach can be when it's not grace, when it's not just the gospel. Legalism brings spiritual slavery and even brings death. It's no joke. And that's why Paul keeps hammering on this. So Paul goes after it. Let's dive right into point number one. Title of point number one is know what you're getting yourself into. Know what you're getting yourself into. How many of you sign documents without reading the document? You can raise your hand. I do it, you do it. You know you do it. Don't be sitting there like, no, man, you do it. You get a bit, I, I used to be in real estate. You go to the closing table. There is a pile of documents like this. Now it's all, you know, online and everything. And it was back then. I'm not that old, all right? 
All right? We had DocuSign and everything even then. But, but even the, the digital pile of documents is like this. And not once when I was sitting at that closing table did I see any of my hundreds of clients read every single document, every single word of every single document, but they signed every single one of them. They initialed every place they were told to initial. Blindly doing that. I just did this about two weeks ago. We had to take a couple of my cars in to get them fixed. When it rains, it pours. How many of you all know that, right? When it breaks, it just seems to all break everything. Anyway, it was just, it was one of those weeks. So we took a couple of our cars in and go to pick them up. One of them was at dealership. I had to pick it up from the dealership. And bottom line is, they just said, you just got to sign here, initial here to get your car. And I just signed initial. I didn't read it. I figured they're either going to give me a car that's fixed or they're not. And I'm just going to drive away. And if, anyway, we all do this. But this way of living can be dangerous, especially when our eternity, when our faith, is on the line. And this is what these Christians were doing, though. They weren't reading the fine print. They were signing up for something without knowing all the details. Verse 21 of chapter 4. We're going to go through the last 10 verses of chapter 4 here today. Check out what Paul says to these believers. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? I mean, in other words, he's saying, you who want to be under the law, have you actually read it? Do you understand what it means to put yourself back under the law? Again, these Christians were being sold a bill of goods by Judaizers, religious folks, and they were blindly signing back on to what they were being soul. It's like Paul was given, though, to these Christians, his version of that line from the princess bride. You keep saying you want to go back to the law, but I do not think it means what you think it means. But I like those hoops, but I do not think it means what you think it means. But just adding back some little things like circumcision, but I do not think it means what you think it means. I find myself saying the same thing at election time. I can't resist. i got to talk about this a little bit. We're about ready to have an important election. And don't worry, I'll, I'll, this will all get tied in somehow. God, God's good at that. God's good at that. So I find myself at election time. People signing on to things that, that they, they don't know what they're doing. I do not think it means what you think it means to, to vote for that proposition or to vote for that candidate. I do not think it means what you think it means. I do not think you understand where this is going to actually go. You know, we've had propositions, and I'm just going to make one up right now, but we've had one very, very similar to this. I think it was the last election cycle, and it might have even been Prop 123, but I'm just choosing 123 because it's just something easy to say, right? You know, you get a prop like Prop 123. And, and it gets sold to you as, it's going to help the children. It's for the children. You need to sign on to this prop, one, two, three, because it's for the children. And so, because you have a heart of compassion for the children, you get in the ballot box and you say yes to prop one, two, three. And then you find out a month or two later after you said yes to Prop 1, 2, 3, 
that what's actually happened as a result of Prop 123 is your taxes just went up. And we just saddled the next generation with a mound of debt and the money that's coming from your taxes because you blindly signed on to Prop 123 is actually going in to, to fund CRT and it's funding all this sexual education garbage that's going on in our schools. But it sounded good. I'm sure everything's going to be okay. I'm just going to sign. Okay, I can't stop there. So, I don't do this every single week and every month, but it is election season. It's important. So, here's another one that people just sign on to. They're like, you know, that candidate, I'm going to vote for that candidate. Because after all, that astronaut guy seems like a really nice person and he wants to help my family. I'm not using any names. But I'm being real because this stuff matters. That astronaut guy just seems like a nice guy. He wants to help my family. He comes on every two, every six years now, and he tells me how nice he is and how much he wants to help my family. But in reality, in reality, he's part of the group that's raising up the national debt. He's causing inflation. He's funding Planned Parenthood with his vote. I mean, seriously, which is funding abortion in our land, in our state. And he's pushing CRT, gender dysphoria for our children. In other words, don't just sign on to something because it looks good, it sounds good, it feels good. That's what these Christians, I'm going to bring it back now, that's what these Christians in Galatia were doing. They were being sold a bill of goods. Oh, this whole circumcision thing, this whole going back to the law thing, it's going to be good for you. It's going to make you feel good. You know, you're going to have a part in this again. And, and come on now, sign on. And they were falling for it. And they were signing on to it, not understanding where it was leading them. What it was going to do to them and their children and the generations that were to follow. Paul says, tell me, verse 21. You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? How many of you know that Christians are pretty good at misunderstanding, misapplying, and even misquoting Scripture? Taking things out of context and getting themselves in a lot of trouble. It's been happening from the very beginning. It's something we need to be very careful of. These Galatian believers were signing on to something. They were signing on to the law. They were signing on to legalism. That should be a four-letter word, by the way. They were signing on to legalism without reading or understanding the fine print, what it would really mean, where it would really take them. See, when you go back to the law, the pressure... To, to save yourself and to keep yourself safe, it's on you. It gets transferred back onto you when you get hoodwinked into embracing the law again, into embracing works again. That's not freedom. It's not faith. It's not what Christ came. It's not what he did for us. Point number two, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Remember in Indiana Jones, 
and the last crusade. Gee, in my mind, it just goes off these things. Indiana Jones, the last crusade, you got the bad guy, right? The evil bad guy, and he's running after trying to find the, the chalice, the, the um, what's that called? The um, Holy Grail. He's trying to find the Holy Grail, right? And he wants to find it because he believes if he drinks from the Holy Grail, the chalice of Jesus, that, that he will have eternal immortal life. He'll never die. He'll never age. And so he goes in this room, and there's all these chalices, and, and he believes, you know, with somebody helping him that he's picked the right one because it's the fanciest with all the jewels on it and gold and all fancy, and, and he's going to choose that one because surely that's the chalice of the king of kings, right? So on the surface, he makes this choice, but it was not a good choice for after drinking from this fancy cup, he begins to age very rapidly to the point of turning into bones and then dust and blowing away, right? Y'all remember that, right? And, and what's the next line in the movie? I believe the next line is, he chose poorly. He chose poorly. Paul says that we have a choice. One is going to bring life, eternal life. And the other choice is going to bring death. And Paul presents this choice by using an Old Testament allegory comparing two women, Sarah and Hagar, and their, their children, Isaac and Ishmael. And, and, and Paul is painting this picture. Okay, you say you want to go back to the law. I do not think it means what you think it means. I do not think you understand what you're asking for. To help you understand what you're asking for and the choice that you're really making, let me paint a picture for you. I'm paraphrasing Paul right here. And he goes into this in verse 22 and says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son, by the free woman, was born as a result of what? A divine promise. You all remember talking about the difference between the flesh and the promise, right? The law and the promise. Genesis chapters 12 through 21. So Abraham was 75 years old. And God made him a promise. He promised him that he would have a child, not only a child, but many, that he would have a whole host, a, a, a whole people group that would come from him, even though his wife couldn't conceive. Well, Abraham and, and Sarah were quite excited about that, and they waited, and they waited for this to happen. They waited like over, over two decades, like nearly 20 years, but no children. Before y'all start judging, there's some of y'all who can't like wait two minutes for God to answer your prayers. Two, two hours, two days, let alone two weeks. We get impatient. And we tend to do exactly what Abraham and Sarah ended up doing. Is, is They got tired of waiting, decades though, they got tired of waiting and they decided, well, we're going to take it into our own hands. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna push it across the finish line. We're going to add our work to this and we're going to make this happened. God gave us the vision for it. Now we're going to help just kind of oh, give it that little extra push and make it happen, right? And so 
What did they do? Abraham ended up having a son, but he had a son through the slave woman with Hagar. Now, it was a culturally acceptable thing to do, but it wasn't God's way. It was culturally acceptable at that time, but it wasn't God's way. There are things that are culturally acceptable today that are not God's way. They're thrown at you all day, every single day. This is okay. This is all right. They changed the law, so it's okay now. It's culturally acceptable. Everybody does it, but is it God's way? Is it what God has prescribed and called of us? So Abraham and Sarah, together in agreement, took it into their own hands to kind of push this across the finish line, and they ended up having a son, Ishmael, through the slave woman, Hagar. They went outside of God's plans. They chose poorly. Have you ever done that? Gone outside of God's plan. And chosen poorly. Everybody, you don't have to raise your hand on that one. Because again, we'd have every hand in the room up. Been there and done that at some degree. How did it work out for you? Not so great, right? Let's check this out from 1 John. John's first letter. Chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, speaking of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I, excuse me, Ishmael was born of human decision, human effort, man's effort. Isaac was born because God worked a miracle. God remained faithful to his promise. Isaac was born to Sarah. I just want to remind us that God is faithful. He is faithful to his promise. Do you see the parallel? Having a children at the age, old age, that Sarah ended up having that child was impossible. But you know what else is impossible? You being saved. That's, that's impossible. You can't clean yourself up. You can't work your way out of it. But God is the God of the impossible. God can cause a woman virtually at the age of 100 to have a child because he made a promise. And God can take a sinner, a wretch, like you and me, I just called you a wretch. Now, if you're in Christ, you're no longer a sinner, but you're a saint. That's what Scripture refers to us as, because of Christ. And God does the impossible with a sinner. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, through His grace, He takes a sinner and transforms him into a saint. He takes an orphan. And he makes them a son and a daughter. It's astounding. 
Paul ties this into his letter to the Galatians to make this point. Let's continue in verse 24. Paul continues, he says, these things are being taken figuratively. So again, he's, he's speaking in allegory at this time. He's using this example of, of Sarah and Hagar, of Isaac and Ishmael, to make a spiritual point. So he, he, he's very clear with us. This is being used figuratively. It's to be taken figuratively. Uh, Paul uses this same or similar allegory actually in Romans chapter 9. The same, the same allegory that's being used here, he uses it in Romans chapter 9 to once again make a point about the importance of salvation coming through faith. So Paul says that these things are to be taken figuratively. The woman, the women, excuse me, represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city, Jerusalem, because she, meaning Jerusalem, meaning the Jewish people living under the law, again, he's, he's, he's contrasting here, these, these, religious, these Jewish people living under the law, looking for salvation through human effort, present city of Jerusalem, because she is in slavery with her children. Slavery to what? The law, to religion. Work, work, work. Try, try, try. Burden, burden, burden. Fail, fail, fail. Y'all ever been there? But the Jerusalem that is above is free. That sounds good, doesn't it? And she is our mother. Now he's speaking to Christians. The Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who, never, who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So Paul, again, uses this story of Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael, as a figurative picture of the choice that we have between embracing and, con and continuing to live under an old covenant or the new covenant. In other words, the difference between rules and relationship. The difference between the flesh and the spirit. That's a big one. Romans 8, right? The flesh and the spirit. The difference between works and faith. The difference between the law and the promise, which we've talked about many, many times in the course of these past eight, nine weeks. And so Scripture is warning. Paul is warning the Christians in Galatia, and the Holy Spirit continues to warn the church today, choose wisely. Choose wisely. The old covenant of works meaning what we can do, what you can do, you can choose that. Or you can choose the new covenant of grace, what Christ has done. And it's not a mixture of the two. It's one or the other. But I want to have it both ways. We blew that one up last week. You can't. It's one or the other. It's all Jesus or it's back on you. Choose wisely. 
Paul says, will you remain a person born of natural descent, of human effort, of of your own work and performance? Or will you be a person who is supernaturally born again by the Spirit, born again in Christ? Choose you, in other words, this day, which person you're going to be. Choose wisely. Let's go to point number three. You can't have it both ways. Choose wisely, and you can't have it both ways. Man, how many of us like to have it both ways? We always do, don't we? Ah, you can't have it both ways. And you know what? When you settle for that, and you just finally choose 100% both feet in with the kingdom of God, both feet in with Jesus, man, there's no better place to be. You know, living on the fence, that's horrible. You want to talk about having a a messed up conscience and and just always feeling this battle going on in your life, man, that's because you got one foot in the flesh, one foot in the spirit. Because you got one foot in, in, man, what you're going to do, and you're the man, you're the woman, you're going to make it happen, and then one foot in, yeah, but Jesus is God, and he's, he's on my side. Like, what, what's up with that? You can't have it both ways. And Paul says this. He says, now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, speaking to Christians, born again in Christ Jesus, you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now, if you're born again in Christ, I want you just to even speak that. You can do it quietly in your own mind, whatever. You can say it out loud right now. Just remind yourself. Just say, hey, remember you're a child of promise. I'm a child of promise. I'm a child of promise. You, like Isaac, are children of promise. But at that time, the son born according to the flesh did what? Persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit, and it's the same now. And it's the same even now. And it's going to be the same tomorrow. Just how the world works. Have you ever noticed how people who live by rules persecute those who live by grace? Let's be real. Let's just talk real. People who who live by rules persecute those who live by grace. Grace people tend to be inclusionary. Rules people tend to be exclusionary. Let's be real about that. Think about it. That's how it gets. Rules Christians talk about God's love and grace. They're able to show God's love and grace until, until somebody steps on their spiritual toes. Uh-oh. Now, now you're in trouble. Till you break one of their rules, man. They're all about God's love and, and inclusion and everything. Till you break one of their rules, and then the knives come out, man, the mud starts to fly. You just stepped on their legalistic toes, and you're the target. You're the target at that point. Remember what it says here in verse 29. At that time, the son born according to the flesh, according to the works, according to human decision and effort, according to religious stuff, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Do you think Paul was experiencing this persecution in his own life? Of course he was. Of course he was. 
He was even experiencing it from the very ones that he led to the grace of Jesus Christ. Remember last week when we were studying and how Paul was saying, hey, look, man, when I was here before, you would have plucked your own eyes out just to help me. You would have, got, you would have put yourself in pain just to bless me and care for me. But now it's as though I don't even exist. You're just kicking me to the curb right now. As you're listening to all this religious legalistic hogwash. Remember what we said, man? People who live under the law, legalistic people, man, are some of the meanest Christians. They just are. And so Paul continues. He says in verse 30, but what does Scripture say? It says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman, now remember this is an allegory, all right? He's making a point here. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Let me just back up. What did he just say? The person who is relying at all on their own works for their salvation to get it or to keep it will never, will never share in the inheritance with the free woman who's just leaning in to what Jesus has done. Maybe, but wouldn't it better say, shouldn't really God just say, won't get like maybe all the inheritance, but most of it? Because, I mean, they're trying at least, you know, and they can't. No. I mean, you can't have it both ways. That, that was the whole point number three, right? You can't have it both ways. Verse 31, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We're not people who are going to try to work our way to Jesus and work our way into staying close to Jesus. We're going to be people who know who we are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to stay who we are in Christ Jesus because of Christ Jesus. And as a result of that, man, everything's going to continue to change in our lives. Because you stay close to Jesus, you're not going to remain the same. You're not going to think the same. You're not going to treat others the same. It's called sanctification. God's ongoing work in our lives. As we're close to Him. As He's working out our salvation. I imagine you're familiar with that saying, you can't have it both ways. You can't give up control and still keep it. You can't have it both ways. I just feel like I, I should just even mention that to some parents here right now. I got kids who are all growing up now, right? My youngest is going to be 19 tomorrow. Happy birthday, Ben. He was up here leading right here. Big, tall guy, good-looking guy. Looks a lot like me. <laughs> Wow, Lord, forgive me. Oh, looks like his mom. You're right, yeah. Good looks and the smarts, they all come from that. I get it, I get it. I'm just along for the ride. But you know, parents, you can't give up control of your children and still keep control. Just saying you can't. And if you try to do that, it's not going to turn out not going to turn out good. It's not going to turn out good. Can't have it both ways. 
Paul is reminding these believers, you can either choose what God has done for you or you can choose what you can do for yourself. It's one or the other. You can't have it both ways. You can either live every day out of the reality of what Christ has done for you. And I'll tell you what, when you realize what Christ has done for you, it's not going to turn you into a sinner. It's not going to turn you into somebody who's going to run off and do stupid, crazy, worldly things. When you live in that reality, and as we even were taking communion, and you remember what Christ has done for you and the price that he paid for you, it's going to do the exact opposite of making you feel like you can just live like hell. It's going to cause you to just to love God at deeper and deeper and deeper levels. It's going to change you big time. Can't have it both ways. Can't choose what God has done for you, but also choose what you can do for yourself as it relates to your condition and your position with the Lord. You just can't. If you've chosen to rely on your own works, if you've chosen to go back to the law, if you've fallen for that lie like these believers in Galatia had fallen for that lie, that they had to add something to what Christ has done, then Paul says you will never, never share in the inheritance. That's a big statement. That's sobering. You think this is important? This is important. The gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel. So Paul pleads with these believers to choose grace, to choose freedom, to choose Christ, to choose the promise. And choosing the promise means getting rid of the works. Remember what Paul said? He said, after the promise was born, Isaac, the child born of the flesh, Ishmael, was to be sent away. Speaks of that in verse 30 that we just read. Child of the flesh is to be sent away. Away. Why? Because it's either or. It's either the promise or the flesh. It's either God's way or it's your own way. You know, Scripture, and I, I pointed out often the both ands of Scripture. There's a lot of both ands, but this is not one of those both ands. It's an either or. It's either relying on what Christ has done or relying on what you think you can do. It's an either-or that we find in God's Word. You've got to get rid of that thinking that you can add to what God has done. You really do. You're like, but pastor, don't our actions matter? Absolutely. And I could just throw some scriptures out really fast. I'm thinking about John in, in, in 1 John, I think it's 3, 6, that if you continue sinning, it's as though you've never seen him or known him. Boy, there's one that'll wake you up in the middle of the night, right? Yeah, our actions matter. How we live matters. The choices we make matter. But our actions are either going to flow out of our flesh and what we can do, motivated by our flesh and what we can do, or they're going to flow out of Christ and what He has done and who He is. A man reaps what he sows. That's no joke. We're going to read about that in Galatians 6, 7. Our actions have 
consequences in this life and in the life to come. But we got to remember that our salvation is not based on what we do. No, our salvation from beginning to end is based on what Christ has done. It just is. And when our salvation is based from beginning to end on what Christ has done, then everything changes. And what we do begins to change. But not because we want to earn something from God. Not because we want to help push it across the finish line. But because God's grace that brings salvation now is teaching us, is guiding us, it's changing us, it's transforming us, it's taking us from glory to glory. And we find ourselves doing things that, that we didn't even want to do before, good things, godly things. And we find the grace, the power, the ability to actually follow Jesus where we couldn't follow him before. We see the power of sin falling off, losing its grip on our lives as we walk in victory and become more and more like Jesus. So yeah, what we do, how we live, matters. We have a choice every day. But I pray that the choice won't be one of, well, do I work for my salvation today? Or do I rest in my salvation? I pray that you've, you've dealt with that. That you're in a place where you will rest in your salvation that is in Christ. I want to hit a few things here just right, before, right as we end. God tells us to work out our salvation. How many of you know that? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, like it's no joke. Work out your salvation. You're like, wait a minute. How does that relate to what Galatians is telling us right here? That we can't work for it and there's nothing we can do to gain our salvation. Notice that Paul says, he, he says, work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He doesn't even say work on your salvation. He says work out your salvation. Meaning it's something that's already in you. Something that's already been given to you, imputed. Through Christ Jesus, through what He has done. And so what He has done now, we work out. And we see it manifest in and through our lives. Beloved, choose wisely. Choose faith over works. Choose the promise over religion and over the flesh. Walk in freedom. Walk in the joy of the Lord, the peace that passes understanding, because we know who we are, whose we are, and we know who has saved us. Not this guy, not these beautiful folks here, but Christ alone, fully sufficient. It is finished. Let's stand up.